Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. In episode 6, we turned our attention to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, and we concluded by talking about verse 12, in which Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. We spent just a little time devoted to that verse, and I don't believe we were able to grasp and appreciate the magnificent truth that Jesus was teaching. I'm not sure that we understood the incredible power that Jesus said belongs to those who follow him. I thought that in this episode, we would spend the entire time trying to help us all, myself included, understand what Jesus meant. I think it'll have a profound effect upon how willing we are to talk to others about Christ. Let's go together to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. The chapter begins with Jesus in the city of Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. One year earlier, Jesus had created quite a stir in the city when he fearlessly cleansed the temple and in so doing confronted the Jewish leaders. In John 5, he is back. Consider now verses 1 through 9. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been already a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. This man, sick for 38 years, did not know who Jesus was. Later, when the man was being persecuted by the Jewish leaders for carrying his pallet on the Sabbath day, Jesus revealed himself more fully to him. The Lord had made his whole body whole. He then sought to give him much more needed spiritual help. In verse 14, Jesus told him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. Having learned the identity of his benefactor, the healed man went out and told the leaders of the Jews that it had been Jesus. 
As previously mentioned, one year earlier, Jesus had boldly cleansed the temple of the worldly and probably not entirely honest merchandising that was allowed by the Sadducees to take place within the temple precincts. He proclaimed by his actions something that he would later specifically say, that a greater than the temple is here. Here at the beginning of John 5, Jesus denounced the hypocritical leadership of the Jews who by their traditions had misunderstood the significance of the Sabbath. He deliberately sent this man walking through the crowds carrying his pallet on the Sabbath day. By so doing, Jesus was declaring to the nation and its leaders, Behold, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. When these Jewish leaders learned that it was Jesus who had healed the man, the situation very quickly turned ugly. Verse 18 says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The remainder of the chapter contains the Lord's glorious defense against the charge that he was a Sabbath breaker, but it was more than that. It quickly grew into the much larger claim that he was the Son of God. The Lord's fundamental proposition is found in verse 17. My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. I want us to pick up reading in verses 31 through 39. Jesus said, If I alone testify about myself... My testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me, that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these that testify about me. In his defense, Jesus presented various witnesses that testified to who he was. He mentioned John the Baptist, a witness that the Pharisees could not deny. They themselves had sent a delegation to John and had heard from him directly testimony concerning Jesus. His next witness was greater than John. It was the miracles that Jesus performed. This was evidence of the Father working directly in and through him. Again, Nicodemus testified at least to a certain degree of the significance of the miracles in John chapter 3, verse 2, when he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. They certainly could not deny that Jesus worked miracles. Also in the miracles themselves was another witness to be found, God. The testimony of God was found in the ability of Jesus to set aside the laws of nature, to do that which was outside the realm of natural possibility. And the final witness Jesus called in his defense was the scriptures. 
He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of me. The testimony of the Old Testament was powerful. The golden thread that tied the whole story together was the coming of the Messiah. They did not recognize it as being fulfilled in Jesus. Of the witnesses Jesus presented in his behalf, witnesses that testified to who he really was, I want us to focus on the miracles. What is a miracle? What is a workable definition of miracle? Nowadays, the word is frequently used about things that are most definitely not miraculous. If someone survives an accident, it is liable to be called a miracle. How often do we hear the birth of a baby described as a miracle? Some of these things may be wonderful, but they are not miracles. Webster defines a miracle as an event or effect in the physical world deviating from the known laws of nature or transcending our knowledge of these laws, an extraordinary or abnormal event brought about by superhuman agency. Fine defines miracles as being used of works of a supernatural origin and character such as could not be produced by natural agents and means. Jesus said that these works that he did were evidence of who he was. They were evidence that he had been sent by the Father. Understand that he was speaking of miracles, works that were outside the realm of natural laws, transcending the realm of natural possibility. Each one of them cried out that Jesus was the Son of God. In episode 6, we notice miracles simply from the Gospel of John. There was the water being turned into wine the nobleman's son being healed from a distance of approximately 16 miles, the healing of the lame man with which we began this episode. There was the feeding of over 5,000 with five small loaves and two small fish. Jesus walked on the raging sea of Galilee and he restored sight to a man who had been born blind. At the command from Jesus, Lazarus, come forth. His dead friend came forth and there are so many more. At his command, a previously fruitless night of fishing concluded with almost more fish than the nets were able to handle. Jesus cast out demons. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Leprosy fell before him. Paralysis could not stand before him. At times, by merely speaking, the Lord healed withered limbs. More than once, he caused those who were dead to rise, and even the winds and the sea obeyed his very voice. The inability to hear or speak were removed supernaturally by the Lord, and he even caused a coin to be found in the mouth of a specific fish at a specific place and time. At his word, a tree withered, and at his touch, a severed ear was restored. On and on and on we could go. All of these works, Jesus said, testified to who he was. In episode 6, we read these words from Jesus in John 14 and verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Just imagine if a person were able to actually do those things today. Just imagine if it were as it was in the early days of the church, as the apostles performed many wonderful works, and even the Jewish leaders had to admit the fact that a notable miracle has taken place through them and is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Well, Jesus did the things that we spoke of and more. 
Remember John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. How is it possible in light of all of this that Jesus could say as he did in John 14 and verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. How is it that Christians can do greater works than the miracles that Jesus performed? In no way would I ever seek to minimize the importance or significance of the miracles. They were undeniable proof of who Jesus was. As the apostles and other first century Christians upon whom they had laid their hands performed miracles, those works served to confirm the divine origin of the message that they brought. But let us suppose that one who had been born blind is miraculously made to see but continues in a state of spiritual blindness. What will be the individual's eternal destination? What if a person loses a limb in an accident and it is miraculously restored, yet that person uses that limb to continue in a life of sin? Made physically whole, yet eternally lost. Jesus on many occasions showed what is truly important. One example is found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 8 and 9. Jesus said, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be cast into the fiery hell. Suppose a man were miraculously supplied with all the kingdoms of the world in their glory as the devil tempted Jesus in Matthew 4 and verse 8. And yet that incredibly powerful and wealthy man died lost. Do you remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26? For what will it profit a man? if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What if one were raised from the dead, as was the widow's son or Lazarus, only to continue then in a spiritual death, separated from and alienated from God? Such would be a stupendous miracle, as they all were. But to continue separated from God is to be without hope. My friends, when we teach someone the gospel, we have within our hands the power of God unto salvation, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. That's true of me. That's true of all faithful Christians. When we talk to someone, when we give someone the opportunity to hear, read, or study God's word, we are dealing with eternity, and that is intrinsically much more valuable. The gospel provides the best life possible now and the only hope for eternity. When we teach the gospel, we are teaching that it is God's power to change a person from the inside out. I think of Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 20. He said, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. 
For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, which was one of the most immoral cities of the ancient world. To the brethren there, he said, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. What was it that made it possible for these people, some of whom were given over to idolatry, fornication, homosexuality, and drunkenness, what was it that made it possible for these people to be washed? Hebrews 10.22 tells us, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In Revelation 1 and verse 5 we find, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. What made it possible for people who were struggling with stealing and covetousness like gambling? to be sanctified, set apart for service to God. Remember the prayer of Jesus in John 17, 17? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What made it possible for people who were living a sinful life in a corrupt and immoral society to be declared right, to be declared justified in the sight of God? Well, Romans chapter five, verses one and two tells us, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. My friend, we know the answer to all of those questions and more. We know the answer to a meaningful, complete life here and the only life of hope for eternity. It is the gospel and it is within our hands. It is the power of God and it is why Jesus said greater works than these. There is nothing more intrinsically wonderful and stupendous than a soul being saved, an individual turning back to God. All of us have the power to do those greater works when we've rendered our obedience to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, believing in him, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in him and being baptized for the remission of our sins and leading our lives then faithfully from that point onward. Thank you for listening. We'll have more to say in episode eight.